Whitney, I am one of the teaching pastors here at Connect, and if this is your first time here, welcome. We are so glad you are here. I'm sure someone will take this, right? <laughs> I'll move it over there. Um, we're so glad that you have decided to spend your Sunday morning with us. So we are actually knee deep in a series on Abraham. And the past couple weeks, Dave has explained who Abraham is, why he's so important to us and our Christian faith. And last week, Dave actually talked about the covenant that God made with Abraham, the promise that God made with Abraham. Hey, Justin, do you wanna grab this for me? <laughs> we'll figure it out, guys. And basically what that promise was, listen, you are gonna be the father of many nations. The world is going to be blessed through you. That was the promise that God made to Abraham. And to be honest, I sat in that chair week after week waiting for the song. Do you know what I'm talking about? The song that we all really know who Abraham is and, and he never sang it. And raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who went to Sunday school, the reason we know who Abraham is is because of the song, okay? Do we wanna sing it here this morning just to get it out of our systems? Cause I know we've been singing, like waiting for this wait, or week after week. So let's just go ahead and sing it, okay? And. <laughs> I really don't wanna sing it, so I need you guys to sing it loud, okay? So it goes like this. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons. Okay, and then we do the right hand and the right leg. There's more to it. But that is the reason why most of us know who Father Abraham is. And I know a lot of us ladies were sitting there last week thinking, okay, that promise sounds awesome, but I don't think Abraham can do it on his own. He needs help from not only God, but he needs help from someone else. And he needs help from his wife, Sarai. So her name is, will be eventually Sarah, but until that, I will go over that. Her name, her given name at birth was Sarai. And there's this biblical principle, it's called the first mention. So when the Bible says, um, introduces you to someone for the first time, they will tell you, okay, this is something you need to know about this person, this is important. And this is how we get to know who Sarai is. Now, if I was to introduce my, my husband, I would say, listen, this is my husband, Jeff. We've been married for almost 13 years. We're high school sweethearts. We have two kids together. We like to hang out with family and friends. Um, and you would think Sarai would say, you know, this is Sarai, Abram, Abram's wife. She, you know, likes to hang out with family. She likes long walks in the desert, you know, something like that. But that's not what it says. This is how we know Sarai. In Genesis 11, it says this, now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. That's it. That's all they're saying we really need to know about Sarai. She's childless because she's unable to conceive. That's who Sarai is, okay? So before we get into Abraham and Sarah, um, of course you see this whiteboard. We're gonna take it back to like a little college course session right here. And I wanna, I wanna draw really quick what the Christian life looks like and, and how it ties into Sarah. So the Christian life looks a little something like this, right? 
Just that, I think we all can nod our heads and say, yeah, the Christian life is a roller coaster. It has ups and downs, it has highs and lows, um, but there's more to it. So the Christian life, and not everybody has the same story, but a lot of them ha us have a familiar story. We start here. This is before we know God, okay? We're, we're coasting through life. Um, we don't know God, and we're just kind of getting by on our own, right? We do feel like something's missing. We feel like um, we're not fulfilled. And, and of course, we, we go to all the worldly things of how we can be fulfilled. And someone eventually invites us to church, okay? So someone invites us to church and we like it, okay? So we go back week to week and, and we start going to church on a regular basis because we love it. And the sermons are written for us, basically. When the pastor's up here speaking, they're looking straight into your eyes and, and speaking straight to your soul because it is written for you. And then the worship songs are so good. They know exactly what you're going through. You feel the Holy Spirit, and maybe you even raise your hand, as crazy as that is. And you keep coming every week, and you start reading your Bible on a regular basis, and the words jump out to you. They are speaking to you. And, and maybe you become like those crazy people and start going to church on Wednesday nights, right? Those crazy people that do Sunday and Wednesdays and you join a group and you find a community and you do life together and maybe you get baptized and maybe your kids get dedicated and God is just answering prayers and you were going up and up and up and you were on fire for God. You were on the mountaintop. You were on fire for God and, and everything is just so, so, so great. And you love this Christian life. However, reality starts to set in. Reality sets in. Maybe you are still coming to church, but Dave's messages are really just mediocre. It's like he didn't even practice them. He just kind of threw something on the paper and nothing's speaking to you. So you don't connect with what he's saying. And, and maybe the worship team is so off, 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 off whatever, cue, whatever it is. And, and you hate the songs they're picking. And you don't raise your hands anymore. And, and work gets busy, maybe sports start. So you don't have time to go to your Wednesday night group anymore. And you're so tired when you get home. You don't read the Bible anymore. And, and reality starts to set in. And when you once were on that mountaintop, you kind of start going down a little bit. And then most of us, actually, let's just say all of us, will eventually go through a crisis. Christians will go through a crisis. We will go through a crisis. Now, it'll look different for everyone. Maybe our crisis is a loss of a job. Maybe it is a, a health scare. Maybe it's your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe it's a financial situation that you don't know how you will make ends meet. And you go through this crisis. And normally we do one of two things. We either try to get back on that mountaintop because it felt really good and you liked it up there. But unfortunately, Christians, we can't live on this mountaintop. Or what we do is we go back here because life is not what you thought it'd be. You thought once you became a Christian, everything would be perfect, and this is not how it's working out, so you're thinking, you know what, might as well go back to what I was before a Christian, and I'm gonna do things on my own, because things were fine then. But hopefully, instead of doing these two things, we hang on to God, we cling to God, and we trust God, 
Even when we don't understand what's going on, we trust his plan and we hang on to him in the dip of our life. We wrestle with God and it's okay in the dip of our life to wrestle with God and and maybe we question God, maybe we cry out to God and, and maybe we say like, God, where are you? I've been praying, you're not answering, are you listening to me? We go back and forth with God and unfortunately in this dip, we may be here for a while. So we're gonna call this, sorry for my writing, (laughs) we're gonna call this the waiting room. We may be in this waiting room for a really long time. We may be in this waiting room for four days. We may be in this waiting room for 40 years. But we're in a waiting room waiting on God to come through on something. And Sarah, Sarai, finds herself in this waiting room. She knows the promise that God gave. She knows the covenant that God gave to Abraham that he would be a father of many nations, that the world would be blessed through him. But the problem is, if we remember her first mention, she can't have kids. Oh, and I don't know if we mentioned this before, she's really old. She's in her 80s. So... I'm sure Sarah is thinking years and years go by, obviously God made a mistake somewhere, right? God made a mistake. I I think he forgot how old I was or I think maybe he forgot that I can't have children. So God messed up somewhere. So what she does is she falls back on the flesh and she says, well, you know what? If God messed up, but he made this promise, I guess I'll take matters into my own hands. And this is what a lot of us do. We think, okay, well, God hasn't come through for something I've been praying for, so I'm gonna fall back on the flesh and take matters into my own hands. So this is what Sarai does. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Okay, thanks for the reminder. Once again, she doesn't have kids. So this is what she did, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So she's saying, listen, if I can't fulfill God's promise, I guess I'll take matters into my own hands. So I have this Egyptian slave named Hagar. Abram, go sleep with her, and maybe the promise can come through at that point. Because here's the thing, Sarah's problems that she faced every single day. Again, she can't have kids and she's old. The problems that she faced just contradicted God's promise. The problems did not match up to what God's promise said would happen. So she took matters into her own hands. And, And like any husband's husbands, you can all nod and say, if my wife tells me to do something, I'm gonna do it, right? So Abram said, Oh, okay. So Abram said, okay. So Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. She knew she was pregnant, so she began to despise her mistress. So the plan worked out exactly how it was supposed to. Hagar said, listen, 
Abram, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna marry my Egyptian slave. You're gonna have a child with her. Now, unfortunately, back in this day, this was socially acceptable. If a wife could not give her husband a child, it was okay for him to marry somebody else and have a child through them. Now, this was what the world said was okay. This was not God's plan. This was not God's design, but this is what the world said. So it all worked out according to her master plan. However, Hagar began to, so she, sorry, Sarah began to despise her mistress. She got mad, right? So it says, then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to his wife, Sarah, he said, your slave is in your hands. Do with, with her whatever you think best. And Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So Sarai starts getting mad at Hagar for Hagar just saying, listen, I'll do your plan. The plan happened and Sarah's like, uh-uh, not in my house. I don't like you anymore. So she started to mistreat her Egyptian slave so much that the slave, Hagar, fled. She's like, I don't need this, I'm not dealing with this, I'm leaving. So Hagar fled, I'm not sure where she went, but somewhere along the way, um, an angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar. And the angel of the Lord basically said this, yes, I'm, I'm gonna confirm, you are pregnant, you are gonna have a baby, and here's the thing, you need to name him Ishmael. You need to name him Ishmael. And, and I'm just gonna tell you, he's gonna be a wild donkey of a man, whatever that means. He's gonna be a wild donkey of a man. Oh, and not only that, his hand is gonna be against everybody and everybody's hand is gonna be against him. And he's gonna bring a lot of hostility to your family. I mean, can you imagine what Hagar's thinking at this time? Great, not only did I say yes to this thing that Sarai made me do, but now I'm gonna have a wild donkey of a child. So she eventually came back. Hagar eventually came back. She did have a child. They did name him Ishmael. And at this time, Abram was 86 years old. He's 86 years old. He's not a young spring chicken anymore. So then literally the next line in the Bible, it says that Abram is 99 years old. So that means 13 years have passed and nothing has happened with God's promise. So I'm sure they're thinking at this time, well, I guess we did it. I guess what we did on our own fulfilled God's promise. But the thing is, God appeared to Abram again. And this is when he named him Abraham, the father of many nations. And he also said this, he says, as for your wife, Sarai, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and she and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. So God is saying, listen, my promise still stands. When I say something, I'm gonna make it happen. My promise has not changed. 
You will still be the father of many nations. Oh, and it will be through your wife, Sarai, which you now must call her Sarah, the mother of many nations. At this point, Abram falls down and starts laughing. It says, Abram fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. So Abraham thinks this is hilarious. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. We, we figured this all out for you. Can you just use Ishmael? Can he, can he be under your blessing? I think you keep forgetting that I'm 99. My wife is 90. This is just ridiculous at this point. And Abraham finds this so funny because the facts that they are facing, their age, oh, and Sarah still can't have children, it just overrides their faith at this point. Too much time has passed in their waiting room for them to even think this would come true. So then God says this, he says, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you and I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He's saying, listen, okay, I'll take, Ish I'll take care of Ishmael for you, okay? You had him, you spent all this time on this plan, which is ridiculous. I'll take care of Ishmael, but my promise still stands. You will have a son by your wife and you shall name him Isaac. More time goes by. They're in this waiting room longer and longer and longer. And again, it's getting more ridiculous at this point. And they get another visit. This time, Abraham gets a visit by three messengers from God. And they basically said this. They said, listen, where is your wife, Sarah? And, they, and he said, there in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I, will I surely will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Now at this point, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. Again, reminder, they're super old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself, and she thought, after I'm worn out, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? I don't know, just that's on, that's, I don't know. She's like, well, at least am I gonna have fun with this? I don't know. So she's literally laughing. She's like, this is ridiculous. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? So they heard her laugh and they said, why did Sarah laugh? And and she said, is, and the Lord says this, is there anything too hard for the Lord? How many times do we do this? We, we put God in a box and we, we know God is powerful. We know he is the creator of all, but yet we put him in this box and we sit him at our table and say, well, I know he's God, but he can't fix this. I know who he is, but my problem is too big for him to handle. We put him in this box and he says, listen, is there anything that's too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he says, 
Yes, you did laugh. So everybody's laughing. Everybody just thinks this is hilarious. Abraham's laughing. Sarah's laughing in a tent. They all think this is ridiculous. And the problem is Sarah's in this waiting room and a lot of us find ourselves in this waiting room as well. We find ourselves in this waiting room thinking, listen, I know God's promises. I know what I've been praying about, but nothing is happening. It's like God is non-existent. So if we're going to endure these dips of life, which we will, we need to make sure we do it effectively. So the first thing we need to do is we need to look at God's perspective. While we're waiting in the dips of life, we need to look at God's perspective. If you look at um, 2 Corinthians, Paul, the apostle Paul is talking about his life. He's the one that started so many churches and he's talking about all the things that he had to endure. And, and he's literally saying, listen, I've been beaten with rods. I've been pelted with stones. I've been shipwrecked. I've gone without sleep. I've gone hungry. I've gone thirsty. But here's the thing that he also says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an internal glory. So he's focusing on this eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not what we see in the waiting room, but what is unseen in the eternal. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We need to fix our eyes on the eternal, on what is important. And that's what Paul said after he endured thing after thing after thing. He still focused and he still changed his perspective. We're coming up to Thanksgiving. You guys, there is a holiday of Thanksgiving. For those of you who are going straight to Christmas, let's not forget about Thanksgiving. It's just as important. Um, but we're getting to this holiday of Thanksgiving and this is where a lot of us just kind of slow down. We spend time with friends and family and we talk about the things that we're thankful for. We talk about the blessings of our lives, what God has done for us and all the things that we've been grateful for throughout the year. And that's changing our perspective. So we, are, um, we find family dinners very important. So whenever we don't have something going on during the week, we are always at our dinner table with our family. And um, my son, Finn, he gave me the best Christmas present last year. It's this little jar, and in the jar is, is conversation questions. And we've had it on our table ever since Finn brought it home last year for Christmas. And we pull these out every dinner. We may talk about one, we may talk about 10, but the questions are, you know, what made you smile today? Um, what did you learn today? How did you help someone today? And, and we go through these questions at our dinner table because it helps change our perspective of the day rather than Today was hard, I, I did this. this, this kid was mean, or I forgot to study for a vocab test, whatever it is, we get to focus on the importance and change our perspective. And that's what we need to do in the waiting room, just what Paul says, focus on what is unseen, the eternal. The next thing we need to do is have patience, which is so hard for I'm sure all of us. We need to have patience, and unfortunately, we don't like waiting. This is why we have Amazon Prime. This is why we have Instacart and, and DoorDash. We don't like to wait. When we want something, we want it now. So 
So what do we do in the waiting? Well, when we're, we gotta learn to have patience. So how do we learn to have patience? Well, some things we can do is we can write down the promises of God. There's over 7,000 promises of God in the Bible. Let's focus and, and write those down in our waiting room. We just finished a hurry season or a hurry series. I feel like we are still talking about it as a staff, our hurry, seri- hurry series because it's something that we've been intentional of, of, of slowing down and, and having the, the silence time and, and um, Sabbath time. And this is something that you can do in your waiting room while we're working on our patience, is having the silence time. Get to know who God is during this time. This is the time that we can learn that God is sovereign and control of our things and, and his time is different than our time and his time is much better than our time. And this is where we learn that God has a plan for our life. This is the time in the waiting room when we're working on our patience, we need to lean on God, ask for God's strength and realize that we need to have a dependence on God. The problem is Christians, we just wanna keep going up and up and up. We wanna just always live our life on this mountaintop. We always wanna be on fire for God, but unfortunately, that's just not how the Christian life works. And, And we can see that throughout the Bible. Joseph, Joseph had dreams of what the future would withhold for him. And, and Joseph had to wait over 10 years for those dreams to happen. God told Moses that he would get his people, the Israelites out of Egypt and, and take them to the promised land. But unfortunately, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. They spent 40 years in their waiting room. And also there was the, the promise of the Messiah to Israel in the Old Testament. They knew this Messiah was coming. There was this promise of the Messiah, but they waited 400 years in the waiting room. So we gotta learn to have patience. The next thing is we need to learn perseverance. Perseverance. We can't just sit there, stay stuck, and stay stagnant in our waiting period. God will build perseverance in our life. So I used to be a waitress um, years ago in my early 20s um, as a first job, and I was terrible at it. I hated waitressing, um, and um, but it was good money, so I stuck with it. But how many of you have waited tables, waitressing, waiting? It is a hard job. It's a very, very hard job. And, um, but the problem is, so what do you do when you're waiting for the food? Okay, you're waiting on the food. You, you don't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs. No, you stay busy. You maybe fill their drinks or, or grab the dirty dishes, um, but you keep busy. A good waiter will keep serving and keep encouraging while they're waiting for the food. And as we're waiting for God's promise, we need to be doing the same thing. We need to keep praying. We need to keep serving, keep giving, keep believing, believing, because God will build his mature, your maturity here. He will grow you here and you will persevere in this waiting room. So if we look at the life of a Christian, Jesus basically had the same life as well. So he started here at the age of 30 and he, and he started his ministry. 
And he did his ministry for three years and, and he did great things. I mean, he made water into wine. He fed the 5,000. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He made the, the blind see and, and people walk and, and he just made disciples and things were going up and up and up for him in his Christian ministry. But then something happened while he was on the mountaintop People went against him. The religious leaders went against him. Judah betrayed him. Peter denied him. And then there was this moment in the garden of Gethsemane where he prayed and, and cried out to God and said, God, will you just take this cup from me? And he got into this dip where he hung on the cross and, and he was mocked and beaten and, and he then was in a waiting room for three days. Jesus found himself in a waiting room for three days. But he was raised because he could not have the eternal, he could not have the crown until he experienced the cross. So Jesus' life is so similar to ours. He was in the waiting room, but he couldn't have the crown until he endured the cross. So unfortunately, we can't dictate how long we're in this waiting room as much as we try. But we need to surrender our control to him because he knows better. He has a plan for our lives. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And unfortunately, in this waiting room, this is where the enemy wants you to give up. The enemy wants you to give up your hope here. The enemy wants you to say, listen, this is not what I had in mind. I wanna go back here. The enemy wants you to give up on your marriage and, and on your financial situation or whatever your waiting room situation is. The enemy is saying, give up here. But God is saying, no, you're gonna finish and you're gonna persevere, but you need to focus on the eternal. So this is what happened with God's promise, the promise that God gave Abraham, the covenant that God had with Abraham. This is what happened. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At that very time, God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac, the son Sarah bore him. And this is where we really see God's sense of humor because God said, listen, you're gonna have a son and you're gonna name him Isaac, which they did. And the Hebrew meaning of Isaac means the one who laughs. You can see the whole time Abram was laughing at this promise. Sarah was laughing at this promise. I'm sure people all over were laughing at this promise. Again, because the facts and the problems outweighed their faith and the promise. But the promise came through just as he said it would. And Isaac means the one who laughs. So this morning, I wanna give you a challenge here this morning, and I want you to think about the waiting room that you're in right now. 
And maybe you're not in a waiting room, but if we know the Christian life, we will be in a waiting room. And I want you to think instead of trying to get back on the mountaintop or, or, or just think, you know what, this, my life was better before I knew God. My challenge is for you is to cling on to God, cling on to his promises, even if you have to wrestle with God a little bit and know that his plan is far better than what we could ever imagine. So it's about what we do in this waiting room that will make or break us. So we need to have the patience, we need to have the perspective, and we will build perseverance. Something new that we're doing here this morning, and this is the first Sunday we're gonna do it, but we're gonna do it every Sunday after this. Because we know as a church, we're going through some really hard times. People are going through some hard times. We want to let you know that you're not alone. And we're here as a church to support you and to love you through it. So we have um, several people on our prayer team. So after first service and after second service, we will have some people from our prayer team down in this corner right here. And if for some reason you feel like, gosh, this message spoke to me and I am going through a waiting season and I don't know where God's at or maybe it's something else you're going through, we wanna be there for you. We wanna pray for you and with you and let you know, listen, as a church, you're not alone. So if you are needing that today or any Sunday going forward, you will find our prayer team right here in the corner just waiting for you, okay? So again, that's my challenge for here this morning is just hold on to God in your waiting time because I promise you, you will persevere. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just giving us just the, your word where we can read the story of the life of Sarah and Abraham and, and, and Moses and, and everyone and, jo and uh, Joseph, knowing that we're not alone in this waiting period that we don't have to go through this alone. We have you to go through it with because you promised us that you would never leave us. You promised you would never forsake us, Lord. And, and we know when we're in our waiting room, you were right by us in the waiting room with us, Lord. So thank you for your word that we can cling on to as we just look at the hope every day that we have in you. Lord, I bless everybody here in this room. And um, as we leave here, just um, make us strong as we go through the waiting. We love you so much. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.